continue part two, John chapter one, verses 19 to 34. Uh, for those of you who were last, here last week, we looked at part one <clears throat> and point one of this message. There's two points that we looked at, or we're going to look at. We looked at point one last week, and we're going to look at point two this week. Um, one of the things we see in this particular text, that John the Apostle wrote, obviously, the Gospel of John... Uh, one of the things that he gives us great insight to is John the Baptist's witness for the Messiah. And um, every believer, like John, is a witness about Jesus. And that's what we looked at last week. You know, you might think, well, I'm not really a witness. But you are a witness. When Jesus, before Jesus ascended, he told his apostles. And it wasn't just for his apostles. It was for every believer. He said, you will be my witnesses. Starting in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's all of us. We, this is our Jerusalem here, Bay Ridge. You know? And we extend that gospel to wherever we can. But we're all called to be witnesses. And every single believer, every one of you, has a testimony. So stand with me for the reading of God's word. Please stand. <clears throat> We're going to look at chapter 1 again, verses 19 through 34. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. And that's where we ended off last week, and this is where we will continue. The next day Jesus the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen, and I have bore witness... That this is the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you for this witness of this great man, John the Baptist. And God, I pray, my prayer, is that you show us each that we all have a witness. 
And that we all have a testimony. Not just John the Baptist. Not just the apostles or the disciples. Every single believer. You have called to be a witness. And have a testimony about the Lord Jesus Christ. Open our hearts and minds. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Many sports figures today, but not all, seem to be arrogantly proud of their record, whether it be baseball, football, soccer, tennis, basketball, golf, and others. But every now and then, if you haven't noticed, a humble sport figure who just did something outstanding, like a grand slam, a winning touchdown, a hole-in-one, or broke a record of some sort, when interviewed and the media is making a big fuss about them, they humbly give glory to God. Or they'll give a testimony on how Christ has changed their lives. And they take off the focus off themselves and they put it on Jesus. And as Christians, as we're watching this, it warms our hearts. Their testimony points to Christ. And the proposition for this text that I'm reading, this is the main thought, it's the same as last week because it's part two, is your testimony's ultimate purpose is to point people to Jesus. That's what it's about. So let me give you a quick review of last week's point one before I tackle point two. Because many of you were not here last week. By the way, if you'd like to listen to point one on our website, which I would encourage you to do so you can have a better understanding of this, the whole flow of this text, uh, you could see, go to our website and it should be up soon and you could follow it, point one and point two. Also, I think I put in, uh, my wife at least made the outlines, it's, it's in the insert in your bulletin. You might want to follow with that also. So let me review. Point one. This was last week. You have a testimony. That was point one. And in your testimony, one of the subpoints was you confess who you are not. Self-denial. John the Baptist was questioned of who he was. He answered, his answer was simply, I, I'm not the Christ. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. He quickly and forcefully denied that he was any of these. There was no uncertainty at all in John the Baptist. He was subordinate to the Messiah. When you and I testify about the Savior, there should be no ambiguity. None whatsoever. And obviously, people are not going to ask you if you're the Christ. They're not going to ask you if you're Elijah or the prophet. Of course not. But they might say to you, you're a good person, aren't you? Which would diminish... Christ and his redemptive work if you played into that. We should deny anything like that. I'm not a righteous person. I'm not a good person. I'm a sinner that Jesus Christ saved and is my savior. The second thing, the second sub-point we looked at was you confess you're just a voice. Now, uh, what I want to say is you don't literally tell them I'm a voice. By implication they'll know that you're just a voice to prepare people to meet Jesus. When the Jews pressed John on who he was, he said, I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness. 
What you are in your testimony and witness is a voice crying out in this world of wilderness. Void of God, void of righteousness, and filled with violence and sin. Your voice is what Paul told the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 5.20. He said, we are ambassadors for Christ. making uh, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. The Christian is a voice in the world of wilderness to prepare them to meet Jesus. Be reconciled to God. Your voice just proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we looked at subpoint three. You confess your role. John's role was a baptism of repentance to prepare the people for the Messiah. Your role is what Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Our roles as believers is to go tell people about Jesus. And when they believe, we baptize them. We teach them the word of God. That's it. That's our role. God's role is he saves. He alone baptizes the believer with the Holy Spirit. John said in Matthew and Mark 1.8, I baptize you water, but one comes after me. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. People that we share Christ with need to know that yes, they are baptized by the church. That's water baptism. But it's God who baptizes them with the Spirit, which is the one who actually transforms their lives. You and I don't transform anybody's life. Again, our role points them beyond ourselves to to Jesus. And then... Sub, sub point four, you confess your, unworthy, your unworthiness, humility. John the Baptist said he wasn't worthy to perform the lowest menial task reserved for slaves. And that was untying Jesus' sandal strap. I mean, that was a low, low job. And he said, I can't even do that. And as I said last week, I think one of the most Refreshing characteristics of a believer is sharing the faith, their faith in Christ with all humility. The world has enough arrogant, boastful people uh, who strut around thinking they are worthy to be accepted by God. There is no one worthy for God to receive based on their righteousness. Paul made that clear in the book of Romans. He said, none is righteous. No, not one. From time to time, people might say to us, you're a good person. No, we're not. Outside of Christ, we are a wicked, vile, evil person. Our holiness, our righteousness, our goodness is Christ in us. He transforms us into righteousness. And then when people try to tell you that you're a good person and that's why you're a Christian, you immediately divert their attention and their idea to Christ's worthiness, not yours. Genuine humility recognizes that Jesus is the one who is worthy. And I concluded last week with an exhortation to let your witness and testimony about Christ be done in all humility. And let it be simple. 
doesn't have to be complex. Let's go on to point two. Let's look at verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Again, we read about John bowing to the superiority of Jesus Christ. I love John the Baptist. You know, we say when we get to heaven, we want to we want to um, meet Paul the Apostle. And we want to meet David. I want to meet, first of all, I want to meet Jesus. I mean, first, that's the first person I want to see face to face. I don't want to see John the Baptist. I don't want to see this person, that person. I want to see Jesus. You know, And then I wonder if I'm going to have room enough in my mind and heart to see any of the others. Because I might just be there for eternity facing him. But... I do want to meet John the Baptist because he's a, there's nothing in this text and anything you read about John the Baptist that says he's less than one of the most humble persons I've ever read in my life. There's nothing about any arrogance or pride in this man. We saw pride in David's life. We saw pride in Peter's life. I'll never deny you, Jesus. But when you read about John the Baptist... He was a man of humility, great humility. And we can understand why he was the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. He was the herald in announcing Christ's arrival. He prepared the people of Israel for his arrival by calling them to repentance, to return to the Lord. John was a great man because he was sent by God to be the forerunner of Jesus. But he was also a great man because humility characterized his life. And listen, we can all learn from John the Baptist. We can all learn from his life and how to humble ourselves. All four Gospels show John bowing to the superiority of Jesus Christ. John said things like, Jesus must increase and he must decrease. Now if you read the the Gospels, you see the Apostles. You know what they were arguing about? Right after Jesus told them, I'm going to be suffer at the hands of the chief priest. And I'm going to be handed over and I'm going to die. And after three days I'm going to rise again. And you know what they was talking about? Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Not John. He always bowed to the superiority of Jesus Christ. He claimed that he wasn't even able to untie Jesus' sandal strap. When Jesus went to be baptized him by him, he said to Jesus, I need to be baptized by you and you are baptizing me. He wore camel's hair clothing and ate locusts and wild honey. I'd like to see some of you do that. I said, it, I said this before. Just the thought of camel's hair makes me itchy. Very itchy. And just the thought of eating locusts, hopping around in my mouth, I, I can't deal with that. But he was truly a humble man. And yet, and yet, and I want you to hear this, humility doesn't mean he's a weak man. He was as bold as bold gets. He confronted people boldly. He confronted Herod for marrying his brother's Philip's wife. He rebuked the people of Israel for thinking they are in covenant relationship with God because they were physical descendants of Abraham. He called them, you brood of vipers. He challenged them to true godly repentance. Yes, John the Baptist was considered by Jesus the greatest of all the prophets before him. 
He had the privilege of announcing the arrival of the Messiah. The greatest prophet. And yet, Jesus said, the least in the kingdom of heaven was greater than John. John was greater than those before him because he took part in the fulfillment of what others had prophesied. They were all prophesying, this is what's coming. John was there, here, he's here. But all believers after John are greater, Jesus said. That's astounding to me. Why? Because the cross and resurrection did not take place yet. Not that, not now that the work was completed, we have a greater understanding that John did and also, we now have the Holy Spirit in our lives. He didn't have that. The prophets before him didn't have it. The Old Testament saints didn't have that. It doesn't mean that when we go to heaven, somehow we're going to get a greater reward than John of the prophets. No. But on earth, John and the prophets before him didn't yet have the reality of Christ's death and resurrection. We do. All they had was a shadowy understanding of this. You and I... And all believers of Christ on this side of the cross have a fuller understanding of the redemption through Christ. But John, nonetheless, was a great man and testified who Jesus was. And after his being questioned by the Levites and the priests, the next day John sees Jesus coming towards him and proclaiming to the people, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold. The word behold carries the idea of look. Listen, pay attention. It also displays wholehearted emotion. When John said this, he didn't just say, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He had his whole heart behind him. It's almost as if he would say, Behold, pay attention, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It would be like if I saw someone who I hadn't seen in a long time and I loved this person dearly coming towards me. I said, look, it's Joe. Or look, it's Kathy. John with emotion said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The title used referring to Jesus, the Lamb of God, is only used here. John is the only one who uses Jesus uh, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In two places, here and in verse 36. Now other places in the scripture, Jesus is also entitled Lamb. Um, Revelation contains 28 references to Christ as the conquering sacrificial Lamb. Also Paul tells us that he's our Passover Lamb in 1 Corinthians 5-7. Peter says the precious blood of Christ is like that of a Lamb without blemish or spot. So Jesus is definitely referred to as Lamb. But Lamb had a specific reason in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, around 75 times, lambs are seen as sacrifice, referring mostly to the daily sacrifices that they did. But John may have other, uh, some other event in mind when he said this, rather than the daily sacrifices. You may remember in Exodus when Pharaoh and all of Egypt was oppressing the Jews and God began to judge Egypt with ten plagues because of the oppression. And the final plague, the Israelites were told to put blood of their spotless lambs after killing it on the doorpost and the lentil of their homes. So when the angel of death comes, he would pass over their homes and not kill the firstborn in their house. 
Because of what? The blood of Christ. Or the blood of the Lamb at that time. And of course, they were commanded to continue that celebration year after year. And they still celebrate the Passover to this day. They're still waiting for the Messiah to come. But this pattern of sacrificing a spotless lamb was fulfilled by Christ, who was the final Passover and the final sacrificial lamb. Lambs used for sacrifice had to be without defect, in other words, spotless, otherwise it could not be used. It would be an abomination to use an animal with a defect. Jesus was that final lamb without defect, and that's because he was without sin. Or John the Baptist may have had this in mind when he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He may have had in mind Genesis when God tested Abraham to ask him to sacrifice his only son Isaac. When he was ready to kill Isaac, the angel of the Lord stopped him from carrying out what God asked him to do and provided a ram for the sacrifice. This is what is called substitutionary atonement. God used a substitute, an animal rather than Isaac. Instead of killing you and me, God used a substitute. The spotless lamb of God, Jesus Christ, in our place. That's the sacrificial, substitutionary death of Christ. He's the lamb of God who takes away our sin. Jesus was the one, Isaiah the prophet said, it was a lamb that was led to the slaughter, Isaiah 53, 7. Jesus was the lamb of God who suffered and died on the cross to take away the sin of the world. He was the lamb sent by God. And this lamb died and took away sin. If you haven't noticed, the problem with the world is sin. It's not the Republicans. Not the Democrats. It's not the Mexicans coming in and causing more of a drug problem. It's not that at all. It's sin. That's the problem with the world. Sin. And the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world by his sacrificial death. The Lamb of God dealt with the sin problem of the world. Again, John the Baptist points away from himself and testifies about Jesus, the Lamb of God. Five sub-subpoints you could follow in your outline. I want you to see when John testified that Jesus is the Lamb of God. First one is John proclaimed the Lamb of God takes away their sin. And John describes the function of the Lamb as taking away the sin of the world once again by his sacrificial death. Does this mean that Jesus died for everyone as some would have it? No, it's speaking about humanity in general without distinction. In other words, the lamb who takes away their sin is not just for the Jew, but for every race, color, and ethnic group. John is not only pointing to and identifying the Messiah, but proclaiming to the people that he takes away their sin. Again, it's not everyone, but everyone who puts their trust in the Messiah. The second one is John understands that the, the, the Lamb is from all eternity. Now, that might sound like, that's, that's not so important, but it's very important. Verse 30. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Again, John recognized and vows to the superiority of Jesus. 
John understands that he himself was created. But somehow understands that Jesus was from all eternity. Jesus was not created. He only... He created the universe, but he wasn't a created person. John, on the other hand, was created. And John was the one created by Jesus, proclaiming Christ. And what always amazes me is the ones who actually condemned Jesus, the Jewish leaders, and the ones who actually crucified Jesus by nailing him to a cross, the Romans, were the ones Jesus actually created. Did you ever think about that? The ones that nailed him to the cross are the ones he created? The ones who sent them to trial and condemned him before Pontius Pilate were the ones he created? Show me a religion in the world that has that much love for humanity. Show me and I'll follow it. Third sub-sub-point. The Lamb of God, John testified about the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who the Father reveals him through John. So John could reveal Jesus to Israel. Verse 31. John tells us that he did not know him. But for this purpose, he came baptizing with water that Jesus might be revealed to Israel. Now that sounds very strange that John the Baptist would say he did not know Jesus. I mean, he was his cousin. I mean, I'm sure, we don't know the text doesn't say, but I would assume that Jesus played, or John played with Jesus as a child, because they were cousins. But most agree that John wasn't speaking about knowing Jesus as his relative, but not knowing him as the promised Messiah. It even had to be revealed to John the Baptist. And until the Father revealed him to John the Baptist, he didn't know him. Verse 33. He says, I myself did not know him. Now once again, I don't think that means he didn't know him as a person. I think he didn't know him as the Messiah. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. You see, John was revealed to... I'm sorry, Jesus was revealed to John by the Father at the proper time, which was when John the Baptist, or John baptized Jesus, and John was now able to introduce him to Israel. That's what happened. All John knew prior to the Father revealing his son to John was his ministry of preaching and baptism. That's all he knew. He didn't know Jesus as the Messiah yet. But when he baptized Jesus, Jesus was revealed to John as the Messiah. You know, apparently, even though this text doesn't say it, John baptized Jesus earlier, even though this particular text doesn't say it. So, uh, But the, the other Gospels do say that he was baptized by Jesus. The fourth sub-sub-point. Through the word of God, John was showing Jesus. Verses 32 and 33. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain... 
This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. How did John come to know Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah? It was supernatural revelation. That's how. God the Father told him, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So when John saw the Holy Spirit descend on Jesus in the form of a dove and remain on him, just as the Father told him, he knew Jesus was the Christ. May I say, when God speaks, it always comes to pass. Always. The Word of God showed John the Baptist who Jesus was, and John believed. The fifth sub-sub-point is John recognized Jesus as the ultimate baptizer. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance and was symbolic of a changed mind of the person who recognized their sins and needed cleansing and preparation for the Messiah. That was grace. Grace, even before Jesus was, even before Jesus suffered, died, and was resurrected, it was grace that led the people to repent and prepare for the Messiah. Jesus' baptism was a baptism of a new, transformed life by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. John's baptism was symbolic for repentance, but Jesus' baptism was a new, transformed life by the power of the Holy Spirit. At the moment of salvation, a believer, your salvation is renewed, regenerated by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, Paul says, For in one spirit, what? We were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And he also said in Titus 3, 5, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. John's baptism could only prepare and point people to the Messiah who would immerse the new believer in the Spirit. That's the good news they were waiting for, as the prophet Joel said in uh, chapter 2, verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Jesus' baptism in the New Covenant, Ezekiel prophesied about. In chapter 36, verses 25 to 27, he said, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all my rules. This was God. God did all this. This is the Spirit of God working in a human heart, changing the person. That's the good news of Jesus Christ, which was only made possible because of Christ's death and resurrection. Don't you think that's worth testifying about? Again, John just recognized the superiority of Christ. It was as if John was saying, even though God called me to this kind of baptism, and it's important, it pales next to Messiah's baptism with the Holy Spirit. The baptism I was called to do was just a means to an end. The conclusion of John, the final Old Testament 
prophet, the conclusion in his testimony is a fitting remark and a strong affirmation of what all the prophets in the Old Testament pointed to. Verse 34. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. We see John the Baptist again stepping aside in all humanity, I'm sorry, in all humility, and giving the center stage to God the Son. Jesus Christ was, is, and always will be God, the second person of the Blessed Trinity. He had, has, and always will have an eternal relationship to God the Father. We see clearly John the Baptist in the ministry descending, decreasing, I should say, and Jesus Christ and his divine ministry increasing. John was decreasing, and Jesus was increasing, just the way it was planned. It's like when you experience a Broadway play, and the lights on one side of the stage are on the supporting actor, and then they get dimmer and dimmer until it's dark. And in the meantime, the lights on the other side of the stage are getting brighter and brighter, and you see the star entering the stage, and now he is the fo- or he or she is the focus of the rest of the play. Why? Because he or she is the star and the main attraction. The others are just supporting actors and actresses. John the Baptist and the rest of the characters in the whole New Testament are just supporting roles that point to the main attraction, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You cannot, in all honesty, read the Bible and cannot come to the conclusion that God and Christ is central in all the scripture, whether implicit or explicit. When it's all said and done, Christ will stand and be on the center stage being worshipped. Revelation 5.13 says, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. In his humiliation, Jesus took the center stage. We see that. And in his exaltation, he takes center stage. Let me get into some application. Point two. You testify about Jesus. Point one says, you have a testimony. Point two says, your testimony is about Christ. Subpoint A. You testify about Jesus, who is the Lamb. As Jesus approached John, John said with emotion, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Obviously, you and I are not going to see Jesus coming towards us. So we can exclaim, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But it's okay to tell people about Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that he is the Christ, he is the Savior. And may I say, it's okay to talk about Jesus with passion and with emotion, because you believe and experience salvation. He is the Lamb of God who takes away your sin. You testify about Jesus. He is the Lamb of God. Sub, sub point number one, who takes away their sin. So what you're testifying is, this Savior will take away your sin. 
Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. Yeah, I am emotional about testifying about Christ. I am. My sins have been forgiven, now and forever. People in the 21st century need to know that's why Christ came, to deal with the sin problem. Because man is totally depraved. We like to look at sin as just little sins here and there for most of us. But the Bible explicitly says we are a sinful people and we're totally depraved. Jeremiah told us the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? You see, Christ dealt with the sinful heart by becoming a curse on a tree. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree. He became your curse. He became my curse. This is the good news. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world or the sin of the world. In our culture today, people are taught, especially through media, that mankind is basically good. They don't need that bloody religion called Christianity. Well, if you don't think you have a problem with sin, then of course, you don't really need a savior, do you? It's okay to let people know in our culture, I want to tell you, that they're sinners in desperate need of a savior. There are people, according to world standards, and hear me, that are considered good. And according to the world standards, guess what? We shouldn't really deny that. But the problem is, they're good according to the world standards, not God's perfect standard. I had a friend at work. He was a shop steward, Steve. Great guy. Just always seemed to do the right thing for the company, for the workers. He would go to bat for the workers. I mean, he any, anything I asked him to do, if it was reasonable, of course, and according to the rules of the, the Teamsters that I, I belonged to, Steve would do it. He had no problem with it. He always did what was right. Even if if management was right, he didn't side with the workers because he, t- he told them, listen, you're wrong. But he always had the workers back. Always. One day I was talking to him. We're good friends and we still are. I was talking to him and I told him, you know, Steve, you're a good guy. You are a good guy. But you're not good enough. You're not good enough. You need a savior, Steve. I think you're a good guy, but it doesn't matter what I think. You need a savior because your goodness pales next to what God requires and what God requires from anyone. And I told him, of course, the gospel. And he was very respectful and listened. And I still pray for him that he comes to know Jesus. Let the world see through your witness and testimony the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They need to know the world might think they're good but God calls them sinners. 
Let them also see that when you testify about Jesus, he's the Lamb of God that was slaughtered, who died for their sins. Sub-sub-point number two, who was from all eternity. John the Baptist said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. John knew this wasn't just a man who was created, but God in human flesh. One of the things I always incorporate into my witness is that Jesus is God. He's from all eternity. Because there are so-called Christian groups, so many so-called Christian groups out there that believe Jesus was created, which would strip him of his divinity, you need to let people understand that this is not just a man that died for your sins. He was the God-man. That's how much God loved us. That he came to earth and took on frail humanity, suffered and died and rose again. I don't preach a dead God. I preach a living God who planned our redemption from all eternity because Christ was from all eternity. You testify about Jesus, the Lamb of God, sub, sub point number three, who the Father reveals through you. When God the Father told John the Baptist, who didn't know Jesus yet as Messiah, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is He who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. It was then the Father revealed Jesus to John, and then John revealed Jesus to Israel, of course by the Holy Spirit. The Father will reveal Christ to people through you, through your witness that the Spirit of God will use. Jesus said that no one can come to Him unless the Father who sent them draws Him. And again, if the Father is drawing a person you are sharing Christ with, that person will come to faith in Christ through your testimony and witness, which includes, of course, the Gospel. <coughs> you testify about Jesus, sub-sub-point number four. Who through the scriptures, you show them Jesus. John the Baptist said he did not know. But he who sent him to baptize with water said to him, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. It was the word of the Lord that revealed to John what to look for. The Bible says the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Please do not think it's old-fashioned to use scripture when witnessing. American Christian preachers are doing more gimmicks and less preaching of the word. And that is a dangerous thing for the preacher and for the, for the, the person sharing Christ with. Paul told Timothy before he departed into the world, uh, before he departed from this world, he said, preach the word. In your testimony, use God's word. You testify about Jesus, the Lamb of God, sub-sub-point number five, who was the baptizer of the Holy Spirit. Again, John knew that he only baptized with water. But it was Christ who baptized with the Holy Spirit. When we do water baptism, we let people know that it's only an outward sign of an inner reality. It is the Holy Spirit who applies the redemptive work of Christ to our hearts. When I came to faith in Christ, my life started to change. My sister, after about three weeks, said to me, 
You're changing. You're different. I remember that clearly. We were sitting around me, my mother and my sister, and I was talking to them about Jesus. My sister looked at me and she said, you're changing. You're different. This was before I was water baptized. Why? Because I have to believe, and I do believe, because Christ baptized me in His Holy Spirit. He changed my heart and life, and is still changing it. When I was baptized, it was only symbolic of what already happened inwardly. Subpoint number two, which is B. When you testify about Jesus, you testify that He is the Son of God. John's conclusion and witness about Jesus is He is the Son of God once for all, finally, and unquestionably. In your witness, never waver on this important doctrine. The question of who Jesus is determines a person's eternal destiny. Jesus said to the Jews in John chapter 8, verse 24, the second half of verse 24, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. In the original it says, unless you believe that I am, meaning Jesus' divinity, his deity, you will die in your sins. When Peter was questioned by Jesus of whom men said that he was, Peter answered by divine inspiration, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. As I said last week, when a person comes to faith in Christ, the first thing he or she should repent of is their view of Christ. However they thought of him before, they now believe he is the Christ, the son of the living God. If he's a Muslim... He no longer thinks of him as a prophet. He thinks of him as the Christ, the Son of the living God, the prophet. If you're a Catholic, you no longer believe. Mary is co-redeemer. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the only redeemer. If you're a Jew, he is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. <coughs> if you're a Mormon, you no longer believe Jesus is the elder brother who progressed to Godhood. If you're a Jehovah Witness, you no longer believe he's a, a God. Small g. You believe as he is the God. Capital G. The Christ. The Son of the living God. Let me conclude here. If you're a believer, it's not a matter of Am I a witness and do I have a testimony? I want to say something to you. You are a witness for Christ and you do have a testimony. Every single believer is a witness for Christ and has a testimony. You don't take your testimony and hide it. You don't take your witness and hide it. You are a voice in this wilderness of a world you live in. Your witness prepares people to meet the Savior. In your unworthiness and your humility, God uses your witness. You testify about Jesus, the Lamb of God, the eternal God who takes away the sin of the world. Are you a Christian tonight? If yes, then you and I, because we've been baptized by the Holy Spirit, can say with John the Baptist. And I'll put my name in here. And I, John Verde, have seen and have borne witness 
that is the Son of God, that this is the Son of God. Or maybe you and I, Kim, have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Or you and I, Susan, have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. You put your name in there. Praise God. Praise God. Let's pray.